I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. I think a garden isn't complete without its wildlife. I think birds are a huge way in to understanding and, and seeing the wildlife in our gardens. You know, it's very visible. I, and I've been known for saying that I believe that birdsong should be prescribed on the NHS because it can absolutely change your life. And just ensuring the birds are okay is just another layer of that. It's another layer of love. Birds help create the layered feel and texture of a garden. They produce a soundscape that situates us in time and place. They disperse our seeds, pollinate our flowers and help control our populations of insects. And perhaps more to the point, they bring about moments of wonder and awe. There's hardly anything that compares to watching a blackbird pick at holly berries, a redwing drink from a pond or a blue tit feeds caterpillars to her young. So this week, we're wrapping up warm and heading out into our gardens to take a moment to really appreciate our garden birds. Wildlife sound recordist Gary Moore will give us a masterclass on recognising the calls of birds at this time of year. Writer and wildlife gardening guru Kate Bradbury will share her top tips for making a bird-friendly winter garden. And finally, we'll be getting the story behind the remarkable number of American songbirds that made it across the Atlantic this autumn. You're listening to Gardening with the RHS with me, Guy Barter. In his book, The Grove, author Ben Dark beautifully sums up the feeling of going from being plant blind to knowing how to identify flowers, trees and shrubs. He writes, It was as if I had unquestionably inhabited a city where people had no face, just a smooth balloon of flesh, and then one day I changed my spectacles and seen smiles everywhere. I think this is the same with birds. You're blind to a key element of your garden or any outdoor space, really, until you can give these feathered visitors a name, recognising either their calls or form. So for our first story, we're travelling to Bath to catch up with wildlife sound recordist Gary Moore. Gary's lifting the veil on how we can start distinguishing the calls and songs of our beloved garden birds. As soon as you step outside of your house in the morning or flat or whatever, one of the first things you're probably going to hear is going to be birdsong. 
And for me, it's just everywhere. It's, it's, it's all invasive. You know, I cannot go to a woodland or a park or an urban area without, you know, hearing the birds and being switched on to birds, basically. I think in the UK that we have the best amateur gardeners in the world and also the best amateur naturalists. And when you bring those two elements of flora and fauna together, it absolutely expands your world. You know, I work quite closely with, with gardeners full time and I know that often they're head down, hands in the soil, but when that bird calls, you don't need to see that bird to have an image pop in your mind. It's almost like a double-edged sword. I often call it like bird in Tourette's because I'll be out, a bird will call and it will just cut through everything that I'm doing. And it adds another dimension to your location, basically. Okay, so what a lot of people don't realise is that all birds call, but it's usually only males that sing. And basically what the males are saying, they say, this is my territory, come here and mate with me, or this is my territory, stay away. So it's telling all the other birds to stay away, and it's telling all the females to come. And the females can tell a lot from the quality of that male song. They can tell it's got a good habitat, they can tell basically how healthy the bird is. And so I can play you the difference between a wren alarm call and a wren song. So this is the alarm call to the wren. There are other birds calling in the background there, but you'll hear it in a minute, that. That is the alarm call of a wren. There. So that could be a warning about a cat, You'd often hear that if a cat comes in the garden or a predator. There we go. So that's an alarm call. That's the alarm call of the wren. Now you listen to the, to the song of the wren. You see, so lovely, lyrical, tuneful, long compared to just an alarm call. I think this time of the year, three birds that you're probably definitely going to hear in the garden that I think are relatively simple to learn is the blackbird, the robin and the great tip. A real popular bird within UK gardens is the blackbird. That's the blackbird. Every garden within the UK will experience this throughout the year. Many people have that down as their favourite song, particularly in the UK. But another one that you will have kicking around the garden is obviously the robin this time of year. So let's have a little bit of robin song there. There we go, classic robin. And often the birds will pick a favourite song post, uh, particularly during the, during the breeding season, they'll, they'll choose a song post. And that's always a good way to help learn bird song is you know that they'll often sing from a key place in your garden. And um, it's always a dead giveaway. That way it, it helps you see, you can see the bird and you recognise it with a call. So people always say to me at the time, well, what's the best way for learning birds? And I always say, 
be comfortable. Because when you're comfortable, we all work better when we're comfortable. So for me, it involves make a cup of tea, get somewhere in the garden or the park or wherever you are, get comfortable, sit down, and you'll always, it's always best to be still for maybe 10, 15 minutes because the birds will get used to you and they'll actually come back to the song post. And then you'll see it singing and you watch it sing, it'll move, it'll call again, and it might go back to that post and call again. So it's just repetition. It's just watching the bird, listening to the call. And I always think three birds a year is a great place to start. First you've got three, then you've got six, then you've got nine. And suddenly to the complete novice, if you know nine birds, you sound like a bit of an expert. And believe you me, I've made a life's work out of it. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's the robin. Often confused with the dunnock. Let me show you the dunnock here now. So the dunnock is small bird, size of robin, a bit like a robin, but without the red breast. Skulks low, doesn't go to the feeders, feeds on the ground, very much like the robin. And here's, here's your dunnock. Now, some people say, the dunnock says, I'm a little dunnock, please listen to me, please listen to me. I'm a little dunnock, please listen to me, please listen to me. So it's very similar to the robin, but a much more hurried warble and slightly higher pitched. So let's just go back to that robin again. So it's more slower, more fluty. And then the dunnock is hurried little warble. Here we go. So much faster. And as I say, people say it sings, I'm a little dunnock, please listen to me, please listen to me. And that's another way to do it, it's learn little nursery arms, like, like the wood pigeon. The wood pigeon, again, is a really, really easy one to learn. And, and it's like people say, my toe is bleeding, but I've often been accused of thinking that it sings, I know I'm boring, I know I'm boring. So little rhymes like that really help you uh, identify and remember the bird, basically. So another popular bird in the garden, particularly if you've got feeders, is that of the great tit. And again, it's a simple two-note phrase, and people say it says, teacher, 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 teacher. Here we go. There we go. So a simple two-note two phrase, teacher, 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 is the great tit. I, I've been known for saying that I believe that birdsong should be prescribed on the NHS because it can absolutely change your life. And just learning a few simple birds makes all the difference. It just brings another element to when you take, take that first step outside in the morning or you're in the garden. Having birdsong basically lifts your spirit. And, and well, I know it's a bit of a standing joke, but I always say that birdsong, it's like yoga for your ears, basically. What is it that I like about birds, you know? And I've been asked this question many times. And for me, it's often not the birds themselves, 
but it's the places that birds take me to. So I'm not a big twitcher. I won't pursue rare birds or anything, but sometimes I'll make a point of just going to a little patch of woodland or a garden or even a, you know, a park near me where I know those birds might be singing. I'll go there and I'll suddenly realize, hey, do you know what? I might have gone after this bird, but it's brought me so much more than just the pursuit of the bird or the bird song. So it totally, totally enhances your day, basically, in being in pursuit of birds. Thanks to Gary Moore. My favourite bird call at this time of year is the sound that blackbirds make at dusk when a cat is crossing the garden, as it cries out its warning to other blackbirds. There's something very evocative about it, and it's something you remember from childhood. The other bird that makes a beautiful sound in my garden are the blue tits. They make a kind of tisk 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 sort of sound and it's not very obtrusive or easy to hear but it's it's like the sound of the city where blue tits make a life despite everything. Gary calls bird song yoga for the ears and regardless of what you'd call it I think we can all experience some sort of emotional uplift or at very least a heightened awareness by tuning into the tweets, trills and chirps reverberating through our landscapes. And just as birds help us, we can provide them with the essentials for their survival, ensuring they return year after year. So for our next story, we're moving from listening to doing. Wildlife gardening expert Kate Bradbury is here with her blueprint for a bird-forward plot. I think it's really important to know who the birds are that visit your garden. I think it, it roots us into place. It connects us with the natural world. It connects us with the outside and with our gardens and gives us a, a better understanding of what's going on. And the moment I've got a little robin that comes in and I just see a little flash of wings against the muds. You know, it's very muddy at this time of year, very, very sort of brown and it fulfills you and it makes me feel better. Once you get to know the birds in your garden, you get to know the wildlife in your garden, you then think, well, how can I improve that habitat? How can I make things better for, for those birds? I was aware in spring, because it was a very, very dry spring, it was, I think one of the driest springs we've ever had, uh, that the robins couldn't find enough food to feed their young. They were dipping sunflower hearts into the bird bath and taking it back to the nest which is really bad because the chicks can choke on seeds they should be feeding them lovely juicy worms and caterpillars and things like that and as a wildlife gardener as someone you know who who was aware that the birds were nesting in the garden who was aware that who they are and how they live and what they needed I was able to see that they didn't have what they needed and so I went to the shop and bought a bag of mealworms and soaked them and then they fed them to their young and then they had five little chicks that were sort of running around the garden sort of two weeks later so I think it just connects to everything else really you know the whole the whole stuff that's going on in the world at the moment climate change biodiversity crisis all of these things I think we can have a much better awareness of a heightened awareness of if we connect more with our own outside spaces and birds is a huge brilliant route into that. Birds have suffered a double whammy 
of habitat loss and climate change. So habitat loss is, is anything from building a city to having an intensive farm to using lots of pesticides to growing out hedgerows. All of those things have removed natural habitats in which birds can feed. And on top of that, now climate change is, is sort of starting to rear its ugly head. And I think, you know, as gardeners... The wildlife that uses our gardens, the birds that use our gardens are the lucky ones because as gardeners we can go out and we can we can help those birds to deal with changing weather patterns that they've not evolved with. And this is the thing, they've evolved over the last 12,000 years to have April showers, to have caterpillars on leaves when they're raising their chicks, to have moist soil full of worms when they need it. And these things are now becoming disrupted. All species need food, water and shelter. So birds, for example, need shrubs for shelter. I've got spindle, gelder rose, um, dog rose in my garden. Those are all really good bird plants. Winter is when bare root trees and shrubs become available to plant, which are cheaply available. Um, they, you know, you plant them without soil on their roots and they're dormant and then they start to grow in spring. So it's a really good time to plant trees and shrubs. Um, any tree that provides berries in autumn is great for birds, so rowan, hawthorn, holly. Getting a tree that provides food for birds over, over a, the whole year is really important. So something like a crabapple where you've got flowers in spring for bees, you've got insects on the leaves all summer for the birds, and then in winter you've got the crabapples themselves. But you've also, as a tree grows, it develops a sort of quite gnarly bark and you have insects hiding between under the bark there as well, which provides food for birds. The food in a garden provided by nature is things that you grow on plants, basically. It's plants that bring in aphids. It's, it's the gardener not removing the aphids from those leaves, which, you know, is something that we've been told to do for many, many years, which finally people are starting to get the message that we just need to leave them be because the birds will eat them. And then water, you know, just keeping bird baths topped up. In winter, ensuring the um, any frozen water is melted. Having a pond, but also keeping the pond topped up. I mean, my pond dried out last summer in the drought, which was really devastating. Lots and lots of things died. And obviously the birds couldn't bathe in there. Just keeping an eye on those sorts of things. One of the best things gardeners can do for birds now is nothing. Is leave leaves, fallen leaves, um, sweep them off your lawn, sweep them off paths so you don't slip, but let leaves accumulate in corners, behind pots, under your hedge. That's really important for species like blackbirds. So you'll have lots of species, lots of little critters, little beetles, all sheltering under that leaf litter. And then you'll get blackbirds just picking through it. And it's lovely watching blackbirds pick through leaf litter. It's what they've been doing for thousands of years on the woodland edge. And actually having to recreate that in your garden is really special. You know, there's a huge tradition in gardeners and there's a huge will as well. And I have to fight this desire every year to cut everything down, to get everything, to get the garden ready for winter, to put the garden to bed. And I have to fight that because I really want to do it. But I know that it's better not to. It's better to leave the seed heads. It's better to leave plants to just disintegrate into themselves as nature does herself for, you know, and has been doing for thousands of years. Just letting areas of grass grow long, seeing sparrows taking seed from flowering grasses is absolutely gorgeous. I think a garden isn't complete without its wildlife. I think birds are a huge 
way in to understanding and, and seeing the wildlife in our gardens. You know, it's very visible. Having that responsibility of keeping those birds alive and, and making sure they're okay, and making sure they can use our habitat is really important, I think. I think it's part of gardening. You know, as gardeners, we're all stewards of the land. We all care for the land. We grow plants, we nourish them, we nourish the soil, we tickle the soil. All of these things that we do, we do it because we love it and we do it because it makes us feel better. And just ensuring the birds are okay is just another layer of that. It's another layer of love. That was Kate Bradbury. Kate is the author of Wildlife Gardening for Everyone and Everything. As always, you can find the link in our show notes. I'm very lucky. My garden is rich in bird-friendly buried plants. I've got several rowans, and I've got some pyracamphor, many hollies, and also mature ivies, which are covered in berries at this season that will gradually disappear as the blackbird feasts on them over the winter. Every so often a flock of field fares comes into my garden, usually just before Christmas, and strips the hollies of all their berries in, in one afternoon. So um, that's always slightly galling, but you can't begrudge the, the field fares their berries, even though it does make my Christmas decorations somewhat plain. Happily, I've got the opportunity to plant a few more things this year as I'm clearing out a border, and the wildlife garden at Wisley has inspired me to plant some roses. These are the roses that are rich in hips that are beloved by birds. They don't flower for a long time, but their season of interest is very great until the birds eat the hips, of course. There's one called Helen's Rose, growing against the hilltop centre at Wisley, that I think is particularly attractive, and I'm going to try and find a plant of that for my new area that I'm replanting this winter. It's no secret that birds are affected by our changing climate. Habitats are disappearing. Food is becoming scarce, and migration routes are changing, to name but a few of the impacts. In fact, the government released a report in November stating that 46% of bird species are in decline. It's not good news. And this year, unusually strong hurricane winds brought about an uber-rare record-breaking event. Here with the story is Rob Jakes from the British Trust for Ornithology. So during uh, September in this year, 2023, we saw huge numbers of birds arriving from the US, landing in the UK in numbers previously not seen before. In a typical autumn, we might see a couple of unusual American birds make it over to here. These will be brought over on some strong winds and we'll have a couple of these interesting American warblers, a few other things showing up. These are the birds that sometimes make the press, people travel hundreds of miles to go and see these birds on often western parts of the UK where they've made landfall. But during this autumn, we saw unprecedented numbers of these. These include some birds that have um, barely been recorded in the UK before. Bay-breasted warbler, black Bernian warbler, alder flycatcher, American cliff swallows, an incredibly long list of birds that, that have arrived. These are often small songbirds that you wouldn't normally imagine making these ocean crossings and it's a very risky prospect for them. We think this has happened because there was a fast-tracking low-pressure system over the Atlantic at the same time as lots of American birds were migrating. 
So as these bears were trying to make their way further south into South America, Central America, they got caught by these winds and they got pushed across the Atlantic Ocean and made landfall in the UK. The most notable birds, the ones that got a lot of people excited with, were the passerines, these small garden type birds that people, you know, similar to what we see in our gardens, but the American equivalents of. But we also had unusual numbers of seabirds that were also brought in on these unusual winds, being pushed further north. These have included red-footed booby and brown booby. These are sometimes seen as more tropical birds, birds you expect to be seeing in the Caribbean. And along with other things like petrels and shearwaters, they were being pushed up north. There was a particular bird called Great Shearwaters, you know, a handful seen every year. People were going out and seeing hundreds of these birds in a day passing by coastal areas. So there was a lot going on. It was a particularly interesting time. We might start to see more of these events in the future as climate change is changing weather patterns, as we're seeing more storms, unusual weather at times of year when we wouldn't normally expect to see these sort of events, we may start to see more of these birds making it across. This isn't necessarily a good thing for the birds, and while we can be excited for ourselves being able to see these birds, quite often these birds aren't going to be able to survive for very long. If they do survive throughout the winter, they're going to be in unusual habitats, they're probably going to maybe not know how to find food in quite the same way. Even if they survive through the winter when it comes to the next spring, the chances are they're not going to be able to find a mate and that they're not going to be able to carry on doing what these birds are meant to do. So unfortunately, if this keeps happening, it's not a great sign for these birds over there. The similar thing will be happening to our birds here. They're also trying to make these similar trips and they're going to be struggling with these unusual weather patterns. A few years ago, we had birds like swallows and housemans arrive back from their winter migration in unusually small numbers. And what seemed to happen was as they were migrating back, they hit storms in the Mediterranean. They've just crossed the Sahara Desert. They have to cross the Mediterranean Sea. It's an incredibly exhausting time. If they hit a storm at the wrong, wrong part of this migration, their numbers can be really, really quickly affected because thousands of birds can die in one of these weather events. If it lines up with the peak migration, it can be really risky. We've seen this happen. We've had low numbers of swallows and house mountains arriving, and we presume this is the reason why. In ideal conditions, these birds will have a good couple of breeding seasons. Their numbers will come back up. But obviously with so many other pressures on them as well, such as habitat changes, uh, less insect food for them, the greater distances birds have to travel now on migration because the Sahara Desert's bigger than it used to be. They don't have as many stop-off points. There's so many different things affecting birds. Having these storms affect them on migration as well can have a really serious impact on their long-term prospects. With this event, with so many of these unusual birds arriving in the UK, we, it's very easy to focus on the negative sides of things, but migration is one of these wonderful things that happens and we can see these incredible surprises that show up. Some of these have been happening for many, many, many years. We have had American bears show up in the UK for, for centuries. Some will arrive naturally, but we do have to take, you know, take it with a grain of salt, have a look at it and go, we don't want to be seeing this happen too much. We don't want to see huge numbers of American birds dying, trying to attempt these unusual migration patterns. For, for many, many years, migration has held a really special place in the heart of people who watch birds, people who study birds, even if you're just someone who watches birds in your garden, seeing these birds coming and going throughout the year, knowing that 
that tiny gold crest that's hopping around in the pine tree at the bottom of your garden has come all the way from Scandinavia. It weighs about as much as a 20 pence piece. It's flown across seas. It's avoided predators. It's got enough energy. It's made it here. And we're in a really fortunate position that we have people taking part in the uh, BTO's weekly garden birdwatch survey. They submit their records every week and we can see how these birds arrive in the UK. We know when it happens. We can see the numbers of birds that are arriving in the UK and how they use the resources that we put in our gardens, whether that is our feeders, our trees, if we have a, a wildflower area. We can see how these migrants are connected to our gardens how we then are connected to the Scandinavian woodlands, how we're connected to African grasslands where our swallows go and feed. And it's a, it's a really satisfying part of, of looking at nature and taking it all in. That was Rob Jakes from the British Trust for Ornithology. You can find more information on the work that the BTO does in our show notes including exciting opportunities to get involved with their Garden Bird Watch. Also, just a quick plug for the Garden magazine, which is available to RHS members on the Garden app. The December issue, just like this episode, was dedicated to our feathered friends. The RSPB's wildlife gardening expert, Adrian Thomas, wrote the cover story, which is chock full of great advice on gardening for birds. So do go and check it out. Before we go, I just wanted to share a few tips on what you can get up to in the garden this week. Happily in midwinter, gardeners can take a bit of a rest. They can catch up with things that have been overlooked in the busy months before, like mending fences, putting the shed together, tidying up the shed, putting away pots and turning the compost heap and getting ready for spring. And of course, taking a well-earned break and sitting back and perhaps reading a few gardening books on those wet, cold afternoons. That's all for now. From me, Guy Barter, goodbye and happy gardening. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawn mower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step, and you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer, or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days, plus reduced rate tickets. 
and you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs>